Hello and welcome to the Celtic Whiskey Pod, brought to you by the Celtic Whiskey Shop. My name is Al Higgins, and on our podcast, we will be bringing you unchill filtered conversation with the personalities behind some of the world's finest drinks. In our first episode, we talked to Kevin O'Gorman, who is a recently appointed master distiller at Middleton Distillery. Kevin takes over the role from Brian Nation, who has left IDL to help set up a new distillery in the US. As well as taking on his new role, Kevin retains his position as master of maturation and he brings his expertise to the first bottling to display his name, the 2021 edition of Middleton Very Rare. In our interview, I was joined by Luke Crowley-Holland from the Celtic Whiskey Bar, and in our conversation, Kevin discusses the process of creating his new release of Middleton Very Rare, the reasons behind the new release date, plus we even discuss the hysteria and high prices commanded for bottles in auctions and the aftermarket. As you would expect, the current pandemic forms part of the conversation, and we talk about the challenges it presents to whiskey makers and the potential changes in drinking habits it may bring. I don't want to reveal everything, but there are some surprises in store for listeners, with some comments on future releases, experimental whiskies, and such like. If you like this podcast, then please remember to like and subscribe on your favourite streaming service. Also, if you have any suggestions or questions, then please message us and we'll get right back to you. Now, that's enough for me. Let's begin. Welcome to the Celtic Whiskey Pod, Kevin O'Gorman from Irish Distillers. First of all, congratulations on your new role in the company and also big congratulations on your first Middleton release. Perhaps you you might be able to take us through how this first bottling for you came together and and the process behind making it. Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me today. Um, It's good to be here. Um, Yeah, so we we launched the first, um, my first uh, Middleton Very Rare Vintage last, last week. And um, it was very exciting and it was it was a huge honor and, and a privilege. Um, so, yeah, it was a really special day last Thursday. So I suppose to take a step back in terms of putting it together, um, as you know, I sort of was offered a job uh, last uh, June when, when, when Brian left and uh, uh, took up the role in June. And I suppose one of my first tasks um, to get cracking on was the um, creation of Middle to Very Rare 21. And we started that process in, in July. And um, uh, I suppose, you know, it's, it's, it's again, as, as I said, it's a huge honor. And I, I just put a lot of thought into the first uh, few days and the first few weeks and trying to put it together. Um, and really, I suppose, one of the objectives from the start was um, because you know, of my experience in maturation and because I'm, you know, maintaining my the head of maturation role and then moving into distillation, I wanted to, I suppose, capture the best of both um, yeah. areas um, that, you know, people may have sort of anticipated that the MVR21 would have been maybe wood-driven or um, cast-driven or maturation-driven. And I didn't really want that to happen. So. Right. Um, I, I wanted to get a good as balance as possible to highlight the distillation characteristics, and at the same time, you know, to 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 bring forward the maturation as well. So, I suppose that was my first objective from the start when I kind of had a blank canvas and um, started, you know, jotting down some ideas. Um, that's the first thing. So, um, I started kind of putting together samples last July, um, and as you know, in Middleton we have, you know. Um, lots of barrels put aside for the Middleton Very Rare collection over many, many years. And the way that works really um, is that during the year, we'd have lots and lots of sampling going on, both of new distillate and mature whiskey. So, um, for example, new distillate, we would have probably once every four weeks, what we call a distillate review where a number of us in Middleton would review the the, the distillate from the previous four weeks and to assess it in terms of its characteristics, its aroma, its flavor, um, and and, and the whole quality of the distillate. And, you know, at various times you come across really, I suppose, you know, exceptional batches. Uh, And likewise, when you're assessing mature whiskey casks, um, you also come across, you know, exceptional parcels and whiskies that would stand out. And what we do then is we set we basically put a reservation on those yeah. those parcels and we put them to one side um, and they then would be, you know, put forward for the, the middle to very rare vintage every year. And would you be targeting at that stage 
specific cast types and specific pot still distillates, or is it a question of what's good and what comes to you? Yeah, so just to maybe explain about Middle to Very Rare, first of all, it's all American oak um, first fill and refills. Yeah. So what I mean, my, what I mean by that is that you know there is no there's no fortified wine, there's no sherry, there's no you know uh, there's no other fortified wines involved in Middle to Very Rare. It's all American oak. Um, the other thing is there's no virgin oak. So um, when we take in our barrels from bourbon or Tennessee that have that have already been seasoned with uh, bourbon or Tennessee we take those into Middleton and then that's our first time using those casts we call those B1s yeah. they're first fills and then if we use it a second time it's a second fill uh, and a third time with a third fill um, so Middleton very rare is all American oak uh, and this particular vintage I only have first fill and second fill previous vintages would have had um some amount of uh, refills as well, depending on the year. Uh, but this year, um, I didn't put any uh, third fills in. And maybe we can chat about that later on when we're maybe having a look at the whiskey in more detail. Um, so that, that's the first thing about um, Middle Very Rare. So really, in terms of putting casts aside, we're talking basically first fill, second fill, third fill casts, American Oak. Then the next thing is that it's... Um, it's a blend of grain whiskies and pots with pot whiskies. So single grain whiskies and single pot whiskies from Middleton. Um, and within the pot range, we have, uh, you know, pots of different intensities, different aromas, different flavors, varying from sort of light, lighter style to medium style to heavy traditional styles. And um, this particular year, I've included all those particular styles in Middle of Area 21. Yeah. So we have the broad range of pot, pot uh, whiskies. And then on the grain side, we have our, you know, Middleton grain, uh, our standard grain, uh, and that's obviously there as well. And this particular year, um, I suppose, to play around with the distillation characteristics, I, I brought up the grain um, amount uh, slightly, um, which obviously reduced the pot. And the other thing I did was I played around with the, the pot profile um, somewhat um, to give me the taste profile that I was looking for. So they're kind of the, the characteristics or the traits that we play around with. The other factor would be age. And this particular year is 15 to 36 years of age. And again, that varies from year to year, depending on what, um, what the distiller is looking for. Yeah. So this particular year, I picked 15 to 36. Um, so they're, they're, they're the characteristics I play around with, the mixture of grain and pot, the mixture of first fill and refills, the age profile, and, and that they're the parameters that you can play tunes with to come up with your final MVR 21. Yeah. And that's what I did. And uh, there's a lot of responsibility, I suppose, in uh, producing that bottling, uh, looking at previous releases. And do you sort of always intend to create a consistent style uh, with Middleton very rare, would tasters notice similarities, say, if they tasted Middleton from five years ago? Yeah, I suppose they, they all have a common, what I suppose I call DNA or, or, or trait or characteristics, um, which again is the American oak, the grain and pot. And they have a particular style, which would be, you know, um, what we call the Middleton style. Um, and there is variations from year to year, and really it's up to the distiller to, to, to adjust for those variations. Uh, but in this particular year, um, which was my first, um, I suppose I wanted to you know, highlight both areas of the plant, maturation, distillation, which I'm now responsible for. Uh, and by, I really wanted to produce a whiskey of, um, I suppose, great elegance. Multi-layered is something that I really, really like in a whiskey. And maybe later on, we, we, when we're going through the whiskey, we can have a look at that. But when I mean multi-layered is that, you know, you can keep going back to it over a, over a tasting and picking up the different notes and different aromas. And in this MVR21, I think it has, you know, a massive amount of layers and, and yeah. uh, complexity. Well, we were um, fortunate enough to do a, a Middleton tasting with with Celtic Whiskey um, there over Christmas. And it was the first time I'd tried a number of them side by side. And I, it was 15, uh, 2015 to 
2018, I think it was. And it's actually, I couldn't get over. I was very surprised, even though I, every time a new one comes out, I always excited to try it, trying them side by side. I couldn't get over the, the difference. It was, it was extraordinary. Um, I suppose the other big change we have uh, this year, Kevin, is the, the time of the release. Um, could you tell us more about the, about the reasoning behind that? And, and, and was that anything that you would control over or input into? Yeah, no, I, I, again, that, that kind of came up last year. Um, when I when I sort of took up the role, um, I suppose some key feedback over the years uh, has been the timing of the release. Uh, typically, it would be towards you know the end of the year, maybe you know October, November, and I suppose for a lot of consumers, the year is, is has really gone at that stage. Mm, yeah. And particularly if you have any birthdays or special occasions, um, it it just wasn't sitting well with with our consumers. So we listened to that. And really, the objective then from last year was, look, for MVR21 now, let's, let's bring it all forward. Let's bring the whole selection process forward and, and get this MVR21 released in, in February. Um, and that's, that's what we did. Now, you know, it put, it put me in under a little bit of pressure uh, after coming into the role back in, in June, but we, we stuck with it. And um, eventually, I had the final uh, prototypes um, by November and... Um, I, I agreed on the, the the final the final one sort of mid mid to the end of November, which was just in time then to to make sure that we had everything ready for for February. So so Luke, to answer your question, really it was it's it's just good timing. I think if you're releasing a vintage, you really want to get the benefit of the whole year rather than just the end of the year. It just probably doesn't really make sense anymore, you know. Yeah, it, it certainly makes sense uh, for our customers. You know, having worked on the, the shop floor, you'd start getting. Um, queries about Middleton very rare right at the start of the year and uh, a lot of them are bought for christenings and uh, that kind of thing so yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah it probably adds a bit more commercial pressure onto you guys though and having to sort of predict numbers I expect yeah it, it, it is challenging now I suppose you know we have limited stocks available and depending on what parcels you go for that will have a major impact on, on the volume available. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it all depends. Like, for example, in this particular vintage, I have some 1984 um, uh, pot still in it, which I really was keen to include, particularly as a nod to Barry Crockett, which was the first year that he brought out uh, Middleton Very Rare. So I, I'm delighted that we've included some, some 1984 stock in it. Uh, but again, that's, that's very limited. So... Um, in making up the the formulations and for for a middle of very rare vintage, you have to bear that in mind as well. That you know stocks, particularly of the older whiskies, are are limited and um, they're, they're they're pretty uh, they're they're pretty special. Well, speaking of of older whiskies, um, maybe this is a bit of a cheeky question, but um, in line in line with that that theme, what are we saw the silent distillery release come out uh, last year? From you guys, which obviously old Middleton Distillery Spirit, and I've, I've heard stories that there's old watercourse whiskey in your in your warehouses. Is there anything that you have maturing there that that might be of a, of, a, of time gone by that that might be interesting, um, that we might see coming up in in a future release or even in a, in a Middleton very rare one day? Yeah, so the the one last year, uh, Luke, that you referred to was the Chapter One uh, Silent Distillery, and. Um, you you know people would be delighted to hear that we have a we have a chapter two and a chapter three uh, uh, right all the way up to uh, you know 2025. So this year we're already working on on, on chapter two, and you'll see co- that coming out over the over the coming months, uh, which again is you know uh, particularly old whiskey uh, from, from from the old distillery. So uh, to answer your question, yes, we have some specials. They'll be coming out over the next few years um, and all related to the, the silent distillery and various chapters associated with that. And again, that's very, very special. You're tasting, you're really tasting history. Um, and really, I've got, I've got into this over the last few weeks and few months uh, doing work on chapter two. Uh, Brian would have done all the work on chapter one, uh, but really fascinating looking back on old uh, records uh, going back to the early 70s uh, in the old distillery. And to be honest, it was uh, fascinating is the word, fascinating. Um, just to see all the notes and, you know, I was thinking about all the people that worked in the old distillery. And I suppose what's, what's I suppose surprised me is that the, the, the accuracy of note-taking and the accuracy of records is, is, is really amazing. 
Uh, I mean, this day and age, we have, you know, we have a lot of automation and everything is recorded and everything is on, on, on systems and networks. But uh, back then it was all paper, but you'd have to be impressed with the, uh, with the record keeping. It was, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And are they all from the old Middleton distillery or are they from, from, would we find other yeah, distilleries Yeah, the next, the next one, ch- chapter two would be from the, from the old distillery as well. Uh, and, and, and some of the latest chapters. So I suppose we're just kind of excited over the next few years to, to showcase to people uh, what went on in the old distillery as well and give them a, give them a taste of history, you know. Um, looking to the future, would, would you kind of, sort of analyse those old whiskies and think to yourself, well, they've stood the test of time and would you ever sort of look at your sort of cast types and specifically set aside casts that you would want to age for that long say you know 40 years plus yeah i, I like look we, we do set aside uh, batches every year uh particular distant styles uh special casts um and really you know these these casts that we're kind of working on now these very old casts and old whiskies they were set aside by the people before us you know about the barry crockett's and the brendan monks um, and I suppose it's up to it's up to me now to 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 repeat that and do the same again because, you know, in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, um, you know, um, the people that follow me on, they they they'll want to have a look at these casts as well and and, and release these over the years. So yeah. it's it's really a kind of a like a continuity and a chain, um, setting special casts aside and keeping something uh, for the future. So yeah, we we would spend a lot of time doing that. Absolutely. And uh, the pandemic that we're in at the moment it kind of throws a, an extra spanner in the works in, in terms of predicting um, how things will go in the future. But uh, your kind of recent sales figures have, have been pretty strong on the uh, sort of premium brands. So would there be a, a, maybe more of a shift in focus towards the sort of higher end whiskies like the Spot Range and Red Breast, etc.? Yeah, I, I think there's just there's, there's two sides to that, Al. I mean, first of all, in terms of, you know, um, like Jemison um, doing really, really well. Um, like if you look at our figures up to the end of uh, June last year, which had about four or five months of the of the pandemic, I mean, Jemison was holding up extremely well. I think it was like maybe plus 1% or something like that. Um, and likewise, the six months to the end of, of December, it was performing extremely well. Um, but then if you look at the other side, then on premiumization and the premium brands like the Spots and like Middleton Rare and Redbreast, they are just performing incredibly well. I think to the end of uh, December, which is you know, our first six months, December just gone, uh, we're plus 30% on, on, on our um on our premium premium brands uh, like Spots, Redbreast, uh, Middleton Rare, um, which is an incredible performance. And I suppose what you're seeing is, I suppose people are maybe you know tricky at home, um, and they're supposed to looking for something special, and they're spending that little bit extra um, on on premium products. Yeah. Uh, and that that that's very very obvious over the last um, twelve months. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. And you're you're kind of maintaining your role as uh, the wood management person. <laughs> I, th- those kind of sales figures put extra pressure on cask sourcing, uh, don't they? Especially sort of fortified wines and the the sort of more traditional ones you'd use for redbreast and the spot range. How do you go about sourcing and seasoning those casks when when you see sort of sales figures rise that rapidly? Yeah, it, it it's it is challenging, um, but it's probably a good it's a good challenge to have. Um, so really, how the whole thing works um, for people out there just listening on, uh, we have what we call a planning model, um, and that's basically runs um, up to forty years out, believe it or not. Wow. Um, so you know, if you're looking at these. You know, if you look at a Redbreast 15, Redbreast 21, Redbreast 27, Middleton very rare, we need a horizon to start putting aside uh, distillate and start putting aside casts. Um, so you need a horizon. You need a plan. You know, every business needs a plan. So uh, the input into that planning model is basically our projected sales figures uh, over those years. Now, as you can imagine, a lot of that is very, very difficult. Uh, but um, between marketing and commercial, you have to come up with your figures. They're all inputted into our planning model. 
And then that planning model will tell us, uh, you know, how much uh, distillate we produce, all the different types of pot, the, all the different types of grain. Um, that then will feed out, well, how many, different, how many different types of barrels we need. That comes out of the planning model. Uh, now, this is reviewed on an ongoing basis. We could be looking at the planning model maybe once a month. We might look at it 20 times a month, or you might look at it for five months. So it really depends on what's happening. But at the moment, as you can imagine, there's a lot of a lot of change happening. So we're, we're running quite a lot of models to make sure we're keeping up. Um, so then out of that model, as I say, you get your cask purchasing uh, model, uh, which is really our demand for casks around the world, be it American barrels, be it Oloroso Sherry. Uh, and really with that, then our procurement team um, they they basically start start working on those models and securing those casts. Um, that that's really in general how it works. Um, probably sounds a little bit yeah. simple there, but but um, that that's that that's how it works in principle. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose in in the sort of time we're in at the moment, then that sort of reevaluation has to be a lot more often because <laughs> our situation yes. is changing month by month. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is. It it changes quite rapidly, but. Um, uh, I suppose the thing is with maturation, it, it is a long process. You know, it, it does does it's 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 months, it's years, it's decades. Um, and in terms of cast, for example, you do have time to change things around. Uh, we have built-in buffers as well uh, in terms of our stock, but you do have time to to change things around uh, during the year if if we have to. So, for example, we might decide that we need you know uh, maybe more American barrels. And because of our close contacts and because how, you know, the relationships we have at our cooperages in America, you know, I can pick up the phone and say, look, instead of X, we need Y and yeah. um, that they'll accommodate us. So I suppose the, the relationships and that have been built up over many years is really, really useful uh, in trying to make adjustments. Yeah. And in that 40-year that um, planning model, Kevin, I know when you were uh, appointed, um, into your new role. There was a lot of mention in press releases and that about your involvement in Method of Madness and, and the development of, of that brand. And I know we have the fantastic Acacia Wood, which is a Celtic whiskey exclusive. That's an absolutely yep. cracking whiskey. But also, obviously, in recent years, you've also you've also moved on, Paddy, from the range, but you've bought in Napo Castle recently, um, which, I suppose, got a lot of attention last year. How do, how do new brands like Method of Madness, moving on, Paddy, plans for Nepal Castle, how do they fit into that 40-year model and, and 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 how you choose to develop these products? Yeah, so as you know, Luke, innovation is a key part of what we do and uh, that's all built into our model over time. So uh, for example, I suppose if you look back to maybe uh, 2008, 2009, 2010, we started working on new types of wood, uh, which the um, the GI, GI technical file allows us to do. Um, and we started, um, first of all, this was by purchasing different types of casts for trial, be it chestnut, be it cherry, be it acacia. Um, and so that was stage one. Uh, we, we got a few trial casts in, um, see how they go. And then what we do is we, we basically start setting aside, you know, uh, whiskies uh, for, for finishing in those, uh, in those casts. And that then will be built into our model as well. Um, and again, I suppose you have to bear in mind that the volume of these guys in comparison to, say, something like Jimison is relatively small. Yeah. Uh, and we have some buffers built in to allow us a bit of leeway. So if we want to use a, a particular small amount of, let's say, a particular single pot still, then our, our model and our planning model can cope with that. Um, but however, if you said to me, Kevin, I want, you know, I want a thousand barrels of Acacia tomorrow uh, with, you know, uh, a particular type of pot still, I'd say, well, we can't do that. But if you told me we need it in 10 years time, then we could start working on that straight away. So look, I, I suppose it all depends on the on the scale of the innovation, the size of the innovation. Um, and again, as with these, they take time, they take time to build them in and build up your stocks and getting your casts organized. Um, and it's it's a slow process. Um, but if you're talking about small little batches uh, on a micro scale or micro distillery scale, uh, we, we'd have the flexibility and the buffers built in there 
if that if that answers the, the question, Luke. Yeah, but it definitely does in terms of a method yeah. of madness. I suppose, I suppose Paddy would have been a much bigger brand than in in, in relation to that. And uh, I suppose Napo Castle joins the range with a with a high reputation. I know it was one of our, it still is one of our favorite brands to work with in in Celtic whiskey shop and in the bar. You know, we, we've um, what? How do the how do you decide? Like, what's the plan now for Napo Castle? Do you keep it tipping away as it is, as, as mostly single malt, and uh, or or do you take it in a new direction? Because obviously, I suppose you you don't produce malt down in 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 Middleton. So you know, how do these? Yeah. You know, what's the what's the wider thought process around around these moves? Yeah. Well, I suppose the, the Napo is you know that's that's sort of over the last few months, and uh, there's there's no you know decisions on that yet i suppose we have to decide on the strategy and where it's going to go and what we're going to do uh, and i suppose over the next few months and few years we'll have to see see where we're going to go with with napog again we see it as you know it's a it's a big addition it's a fabulous you know even the name alone the napog is, is is it's a wonderful name um and it's it, it's a good whiskey so we're delighted to have it but again we're going to have to sit down with our marketing our commercial uh, colleagues uh work out our strategies and and start building that into our models as well so that'll take some time so uh we'll have to see how the next few months go we were just talking about method of madness there but um maybe if you can expand a bit on uh, the middleton dargaelic range as well and we're seeing sort of virgin oak casts of creeping through and in, in a lot of releases from from yourselves and other distillers so what what are your thoughts on virgin oak and how it, it plays a part in in the future at middleton yeah well i suppose we, we've been using if you go back a bit uh, um we've been using virgin oak for you know quite a long time um if you think back to jimmers and gold um there was you know a nice amount of of, of virgin american oak in, yeah. in 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 that and i my own feeling is that i think virgin oak has 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 a big part to play um either as a finish or possibly as a part of a, a makeup um virgin virgin casts uh, by their nature can be can be challenging um because of their contribution and i suppose their, their rapid maturation um so you have to be very careful with them um, particular emphasis on the toasting technique, yeah, yeah. the chairing technique, what temperatures you use, and basically how long you leave uh, either new distillate or if you're finishing a whiskey, how you how long you leave it in in the particular barrel. Um, so they can be very challenging, but the reward is 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 excellent because you get you know wonderful contribution, a lot of vanilla, a lot of sweetness, a lot of honey, a lot of caramel. Uh, but the challenge is to make sure that that's kept in balance. Uh, with everything else, um, so I suppose to answer your question, Al, I, I, you know, there's always a future for 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 vir, virgin oak. Uh, we've done a lot of work with even not just the virgin uh, oak, but you know, chestnut, um, the acacia, which you know about the cherry, um, and with a lot of these particular wood types, um, they, they can be even more challenging. If you look at the cherry wood, yeah. Uh, that 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 even was more challenging as, as a as a virgin wood, and we ended up having to do quite a bit of recasking. Um, do we, we had to do lots of trials uh, to try to get that flavour profile right? Uh, now eventually we got it right, but it took a number of years. Um, but again, great fun doing all that. Um, and again, I suppose look the the virgin Irish oak project. Uh, it's going on now many many years, and it has produced I suppose wonderful range of whiskies. Starting off with, you know, Grinson's Wood and Balatobin. Then we moved on to Bluebell Woods, uh, then Knockrath. Um, and I suppose we're particularly proud of the whole thing in Middleton, liaising with different farmers, different estates, um, the whole sustainability story, which is just wonderful. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the whiskey just, it's, it's, it's outstanding, you know? Yeah, I, I've talked to a few people about that sort of traceability content in whiskies and it has become sort of a bit of a, a, a buzzword along with the concept of terroir but i think for the consumer that that whole connection with the the country and the countryside is quite a sort of valuable contribution yeah will we see more dargaelic releases is there one due this year yeah absolutely so um i suppose the the fourth uh, release um where it's it's maturing nicely in the warehouse at the moment. I actually uh, tasted it there, uh, Dave McCabe and myself, um, about maybe a week ago. It's coming on really well. You'll be glad to hear. Yeah. Um. So certainly over the coming months, um, uh, you'll be seeing the that that next release coming out, and um, it's it's wonderful. Uh, I think you'll I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. 
Great stuff. Can't 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 uh, can't let you know where it's from yet, but <laughs> we'll keep that a secret. Yeah. I think there's also there's always a bit of um, anticipation when with the release of Dark Gwaelic as to where it's from, you know what 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 forest it's from, how many trees, um, and it's it's it look it's a great story. Um, uh, behind that, there's quite a lot of work um, in keeping everything separate and keeping traceability. But you know, from from day one when we did the Grinsel's Wood, we're glad we did it because yeah. um, I think I think it just creates a, a really nice story in terms of traceability. Yeah. On that line, Kevin, you've you've um, your new role now sees you as probably the most high-profile job, which within a company that accounts for for I'd say more than seventy percent of all Irish whiskey. You know, so it, it is huge responsibility in terms of 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 other new brands, new distillates now that are starting to emerge. Uh, distilleries have opened since I suppose two thousand and twelve onwards. Um, I'll mention Terroir. You have lots of companies, not just the, the most obvious one, but also ones that are yet, we yet to see distillate from, like Ecklenville, who focus hugely on their own kind of grain to, to glass story. Do you have any any thoughts on on the the future of the industry in, in that regard, in terms of any kind of um, positive or negative things to say about new distillate that's appearing? Do you know, I suppose it can't all be perfect, you know? Someone's got to make bad whiskey somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but, well, I suppose, look, um, I, I just think it's great to see all this innovation and different different techniques um, I, uh, you know, people know me, I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm good at trying different things, thinking outside the box, um, and innovating. So I, I just love to see this and reading about it and meeting different people, um, you know, and the different work on terroir and the different work on distillate and different work on mash bills. I, I love to see that. I really do. Um, and again, we have, um, you know, we have our standards. We have our uh, technical file, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, you know, I see no reason why you know we'd be producing just wonderful, innovative whiskies into the future. Uh, and I think it's great. I really do, and that's what the consumer is looking for. Um, I suppose differences between different distilleries, differences between different areas, um, and that just creates it creates a great story. So um, I love to see it. I really do love it. I suppose you 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 touched on the buzzword there. Um, I suppose a lot of these new brands want to want to see want to have a look at that technical file. And, and um, do you have any strong feelings or opinions around um, the changing of the Potsdam technical file? Do you think that there should be um, literal physical trials ran in terms of these old Mashable recipes, how they quality control checks, or or do you you know or, you, or do you think it should be you know adjusted to reflect this sort of rich history of Potsdam that 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 I suppose that the consumer is only just starting to rediscover in the last 10, 10 or so years, you know? Yeah, no. Um, well, first of all, in terms of the technical file, I suppose if you, if you take a step back a bit, um, I, I, I joined the drinks industry back in um, 30 years ago, 1990, which is a long time ago. Um, and then I joined Irish Distillers in 1998. And, and back then we'd only, I suppose, effectively three distilleries. Um, and then, um, you know, we'll say Tullamore ju- uh, joined, um, and then the technical file came on sort of 2000 and between 2012 and 13 and 14. Um, but if you go back again, as I said, we, we only had three or four distilleries back then. And if you look at what's happened in the last number of years, it's just, it's it's amazing and it's wonderful. Yeah. I, I mean, I could never have seen something like that happen when I joined in 1998. And to see it now is so dynamic and so many variations and so many different distillate styles and so much, I suppose, discussion and debate is great as well. I, I welcome that. Um, so I was, that's the first thing to look at. Second is that, um, you know, the, there is a review of the technical file going on at the moment. Um, so I think submissions from all members to the IWA was to be done by, I think, February the 10th. Um, so, you know, every member can put in their submissions in terms of what changes they'd like to see. Uh, that will create loads of discussion and loads of debate, I'm sure, over the coming months. Uh, and then what will happen is, you know, the technical committee of the IWA will will make some recommendations. It will go to vote on the, for the council, which is basically every member. Then that goes to the Department of Agriculture. Then whatever the Department of Agriculture decide, that will go to the European Commission. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a technical file would be either a, a change would be approved or not. So there's a long sequence of uh, discussion and protocols to be followed. Uh, but the good thing is that everybody is having a say. Uh, they can put in their submissions and, and it can be debated. So I, I welcome all that. Um, uh, but, the, you know, it'll take a number of months to sort of 
get it all organized. Yeah, it's very interesting that, that it has to go through that many uh, stages of approval and discussion, but um, it's, it is an important ruling. I suppose some of the decisions that have to be made are, should you honor tradition or should you safeguard sort of quality and, you know, the actual taste of single pot still as we know it? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing yeah. what happens. I think it would be an interesting thing to follow. It will be, yeah. Um, and again, you, ha- you have to, you know, you have to have a nod to tradition, the traditional way we, we've done things. Um, you know, questions about, how, well, how far back do you go? Do you go yeah. back 100 years, 50 years, 150 years, 200 years? Um, and everybody will have their own opinion. But I suppose all you can do in any situation like this is to pull together as many ideas, uh, have have a reasoned argument and discussion and debate and, and put it forward. Um and at the end of the day, I, I know people might say, well, you know, there's a lot of steps in this process. But, you know, the reason there's a lot of steps is that getting the technical file sorted and getting GI uh, back a number of years ago, that was a huge yeah. step and a really positive step for Irish whiskey. So we have to acknowledge that. Um, and, you know, in terms of protection, uh, in terms of how it's looked at around the world, look how positive that has been. Um, you know, even even things like tourism and, you know, people visiting um, distilleries, it's all been really, really positive. So I think we have to look at the positive side of it. Yes, um, have the debate and discussions over the coming months uh, and really come up with something that everybody's happy with. Um, that's 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 what yeah. I'd like to see. It's inc- incredible to to see how Potsdam whiskey has uh, grown so much. I, I've been working in whiskey since 2003 and, and back then. It'd speak to someone from Scandinavia or, or Germany or, you know, the US and most of them wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about when you're talking about red breasts and telling them, yeah, it's a uh, single pot still, you know, and they'd be like, oh, right, single pot. And I was like, no, single pot still. Um, but now, you know, people all over the world recognize it as a style and it's, it's great to have that attachment, you know, to Ireland and the, the new distilleries can, can market themselves you know straight away as something different to you know other whiskies from around the world yeah i suppose 2000 and i think it was 2011 when we kind of in middleton we relaunched the the, the single pot stills we had up to that we had you know we had red breast and we had green spot um and as you said you know even in the early 2000s they just weren't that well known i i remember doing lots of maybe whiskey festivals in America or around Europe. And, you know, people just weren't fully aware of single pot still and what it offered in terms of its flavor and everything else. But I think 2011 was really important because we we repackaged, if you remember, we we did some repackaging of the spot range, yeah. for example. We also introduced uh, Powers John's Lane. We introduced Barry Crockett Legacy, another single pot still. Um, and it really started putting single pot still on, on, on the world map. Um, and it, that was that was that was really a significant year, and really over the last sort of nine ten years, it's just gone from strength to strength. And with all these other distilleries uh, producing single pot still as well, it just it's 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 a great story. It really is. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. And then um, the, the production of pot still, you, you know, you talk about the different styles that are made at Milton. They the, the way they differ is that mainly through the cut points used in um, distillation. They're taking narrower cuts or wider yeah, that, cuts. Yeah, that that that's the main. Uh, we we can play around with the with the cut strengths, which is the the I suppose the principal driver of the the variations in in distillate character, uh, be it a wider cut or a narrower cut, uh, giving different intensity of aroma and flavor. Um, so if you have a if you have a wider cut, you know you're going to include more of those tails and heavier compounds, giving you a, a heavier uh, center cut. Uh, and a more robust traditional style of pot still. And then an error cut, uh, obviously the reverse is, is true. Uh, we also can play around with, you know, the the, the, the proportions of, of malted barley to barley. Uh, but the, I suppose the dominant driver would be the, yeah. would be the cut strengths. Um, uh, so, and again, that just gives us a lot to, to play with, you know, particularly our blenders, Dave McCabe and, and Billy Lighton, um, you know, We've so many, I suppose, permutations that you can play around with, um, and similar with grain. With grain whiskey, we, we we produce different types of grain as well uh, because of you know different distillation techniques in the columns. 
where we can produce maybe a sweeter style of grain, um, maybe a heavier style. Um, and that gives, again, it adds to the, the array of different um, aromas and flavors which, which a grain yeah. whiskey can offer. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's how it works. Would they be actually based on the old distilleries, you know, that um, sort of, say, like Powers and Old Jameson, would there be a little bit of uh, sort of knowledge on the cut points they used to take in their dis- distillations, or is it um, something that's just, you know, driven by flavor? Well, if you look back towards, you know, the, the, we call it the new distillery in Middleton, uh, which was, you know, in the early 70s, it was built and, and, and the changeover happened in 75. And I suppose the whole objective at the time when they built that new distillery in inverted commas uh, was to be able to uh, produce whiskies from, you know, the different families. So you Jemison from Bow Street, uh, you had Powers, uh, then you had the Cork distilleries as well. So it was really, I suppose, a very uh, flexible um, distillery. Uh, and um, the techniques were carried forward from those different distilleries into the new distillery back in, in 1975. And, and they have lasted to this day. So, okay, there's been some you know fine tuning and playing around with different things and also producing different distillate styles um, over the years. Um, but I suppose the, the, the carryover and the information was really back in 1975 and trying to design that new Middleton distillery. Um, I suppose that reminds me of, of one of my most phenomenal whiskies that I've tried. Maybe phenomenal is not the right word. One of my favourite whiskies is the, the the Irish Whiskey Society bottling of Maribel Lane, which is obviously produced by Middleton, but in an effort to recreate those really old Dublin Potstill styles. And while some of the powers gets close in terms of that pepperiness and that that real kind of traditional potstill flavours that you get from those old distillates, um, it's remarkably recreated in that bottling. Is there something along those lines that might be, you know, you might consider doing again in terms of recreating that old school kind of leathery sherryness, that real heavy spice? Yeah, no, it's a good, good, good question, Luke. I mean, we're, we're, to be honest, we're kind of always playing around uh, with, with, with different things in Middleton, um, particularly now with the micro distillery since 20, 2015. Um, you know, playing around on, on the main plant uh, is challenging because of the size and the scale. And mm-hmm. if something goes wrong with a batch, it, uh, you, you're talking about a quite a big batch. Um, you know, typically our batch size could be, you know, 20,000 litres or 40,000 litres on, 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 the, on the pot side. Uh, and then you have the grain columns, which is a continuous column. Um, whereas in the micro, um, you have a lot more flexibility and you're talking about very small batches. You know, you could be talking maybe four or five barrels a, yeah. a day if, if we run the micro, um, and which allows us a lot more flexibility. So really since 2015, with the help of our distillers down there, you know, um, Larissa's down there at the moment now and Catherine Condon, uh, we, can, we can really have the flexibility to, to play around with different cut strengths, um, and, and, and different temperatures, etc., and uh, it, it really gives us a lot of flexibility. If it works, then, and we're very confident, we can then move that onto the the main plant uh, as a sort of a larger a larger scale trial. Um, so, f- I suppose from my perspective, um, that 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 has been a huge improvement since sort of 2015 when we when we brought the the micro on. If that if that, if that makes sense, it's a useful tool to have, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, would you? ever sort of take any sort of uh, inspiration from some of the new distillers and products there sort of um, trying out and uh, apply that to the the micro distillery to see how it works for you yeah i look i'd be you know talking to these people and i'd be you know seeing what's what's going on and absolutely um but i suppose we've tried a lot of things down there ourselves even even you know rye and and we, we've distilled rye We've distilled oats, and we've sh- yeah. we've shown those to people over the last number of years, and they they're they're really coming on great. Um, uh, they have their own distinct characteristics and, and flavors, uh, really really interesting. So, hopefully, over the coming uh, years, people can 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 see the the, the fruits of that. Um, so, we've been playing around as well with different you know um, cereals and different mash bills, um, and uh, the micros is our place. It's it's kind of a our playground for for doing that. Yeah, you've got a small gin still there as well. Haven't yeah, you? small. Um, yeah, Mickey's belly is what we call it. That's 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 the nickname. <laughs> um, so it's a small little gin still. Yeah, yeah. Would there be any scope for other spirit types as well uh, to be tried out there? You know, there's a few people around Ireland um, doing stuff with rum at the moment, and 
every year someone comes along and says rum is the next big thing but uh yeah we, it never happens but yeah they're saying it again we, we've we've we, you know we've something we've spoken about we're not we're not you know we have we've no immediate plans to do anything on on, on the rum side but it's something that we would look at in the future um i suppose it's it's, it's time to get uh you know to free up some capacity and um to work on some of these projects but it's something certainly i'd be open to looking at different something different uh and with the micro you know that's that's our place to do it because it's it's small it's flexible and um you know it it, it it's it's just a good place to do it yeah and so 2021 middleton very rare that's uh, out on the market it's sold out already <laughs> <laughs> um but fortunately we've got two more releases of it this year july and november is that correct yeah i think so yeah it'll be kind of maybe spaced out um spread out yeah. um yeah uh, so yeah the popularity uh this time around has been incredible and the 2021 uh sorry 2020 release um sold out pretty much straight away as well um what are your thoughts on on this sort of i suppose you could call it almost like a hysteria over the over these two releases um uh, where people are trying to resell them at massive profits and uh rather than drinking them you know which they should be doing yeah look it's i suppose a lot of it is outside of outside of my control and we only have a certain amount of of of, of this product available um i suppose people have to understand that um you know we 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 make more of it if we have it but we just we just don't have it um uh, it, there is a bit of hysteria um i suppose if you look back to last year's one it was brian's last so that that probably created some you know an extra demand yeah. um this year it's my first one maybe that's that's creating some demand uh um, <laughs> double whammy it's a double yeah. whammy but yeah look it's it's i suppose I, personally i hate to see too much hysteria and um I'm very much for, you know, people, if they could buy one bottle or buy two bottles and maybe drink one and keep one or something like that. But, you know, um, exactly. it's, it's yeah. it, it, look, whiskey is there for enjoyment um, and sharing and enjoying it. Um, but it does, it's really outside of my control and our control. I, just, there's very little we could do about it, you know. Yeah, well, hopefully they will get enjoyed. You know, people will will drink them, even if they bought twenty four bottles for themselves. Well, they'll, well, uh, they'll get to enjoy them over the next twenty four years or so. Yeah, maybe have one a year or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when does the the planning start, or is it already started for the the twenty twenty two release? Yeah, um, I was just talking to my colleagues Dave and and Billy in the blending area. Um, we're we're probably going to kick it off in April uh, this year. Um, so. Um, I'm going to maybe sit down in April and put together my thoughts again, like I did last year. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I know people might sort of find it hard to believe that it takes a number of months to, to put it all together, but it does because, you know, we've hundreds of samples to, to go through. Um, and then that takes a number of weeks. Then you go away and you think about it. Then you produce some prototypes. Uh, then you go away and you sort of assess that. Um, and eventually, well, last year I, I narrowed it down to two prototypes um and and that was probably sometime in november uh yeah. and i remember I, I brought them home some week one weekend and uh, sat down um uh, maybe over two or three nights and i had my decision to to make and and that's that that's how it happened but it's a long process there's lots of sampling it's great fun no don't don't get me wrong it's uh, <laughs> it's great fun and you know even the interesting thing is like you know uh this this year uh in mvr 21 you know, I made a, I suppose, a subtle uh, adjustment on the grain whiskey, but that, that that even a small few percentage points of an adjustment, either on the grain pot mix or even the refill, uh, first fill mix, it makes a big difference to the actual final whiskey. And um, yeah. that that's really just really, it's really interesting to see it happen, you know. Um, and the, the extra bit of grain this year, um, you know, I, th I think people thought maybe, I brought up the grain by, you know, twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent. That's not the case. It's very, very small percentage changes. But that <laughs> little bit of extra grain and the, just brings that extra floral note this year, that extra perfume note, uh, and it, it made a big difference to to, to the whiskey. Yeah, and um, obviously, if I was to ask you what your favorite whiskey was, it would probably be Middleton twenty twenty one. Would that be correct, or is there? <laughs> Is there a particular style of whiskey that's that's made at Middleton that you enjoy more than others? Um, yeah, I, I suppose my answer to that is um, 
whatever whiskey I'm drinking at the moment, that's my favorite. Uh, whatever's in yeah. my hand. Um, look, we, we, we've so many different um, styles of whiskey and I suppose it's like picking your favorite child. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, a lot of it depends on the occasion for me. Um, you know, like if you're at home by the fire um, and you're just relaxing, having a, a whiskey, that's a completely different, um, I suppose, setting and atmosphere to maybe out socializing with your friends uh, or maybe in the summertime versus wintertime. So, yeah. you know, every whiskey, it's a whiskey for that moment, for that occasion. So it's, it's, it, it, it just all varies, to be honest with you. Um, but I suppose having said that, the MVR 21 is, is, is very special. Um, and it always will be because it was my first. Um, I, I, you know, I, I just, I'm very proud of it. I, I'm delighted the feedback I've got so far. Um, I think people, people love the, I suppose the maybe extra floral, perfumed, aromatic notes. Um, it's very elegant, um, and I, I really like that in a whiskey. Um, and I suppose more than all, more than anything else, it's, I suppose I, I, again, I just say it's multi-layered. It's really. It takes a lot of consideration and a lot of assessing, and there's lots of different waves of flavors and aromas. And um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very, very proud of it. Yeah, I look forward to trying it. I've got my my bottle reserved for me in the shop. Excellent. Uh, yeah, excellent. Yeah, to pay for it, but uh, I'll be picking it up in the next few days. Well, hopefully nobody takes takes it or, you know. No, no, it's safe. Um, what I would say to any of our listeners though is that if you if you miss out this time round. Go onto our website. You'll find details on how to register uh, with us. Your interest, and when the next release comes out in in July, you can make sure you you get a bottle for yourself. So um, don't worry. There's plenty to go around, as far as I know. Well, if I might step in and play devil ad- devil's advocate there, um, what about a non-Irish distillers produced whiskey, uh, Kevin? What's your favourite uh, brand from from beyond your portfolio? Um... You know, I, 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 I'm very much a person that uh, and my wife uh, would, would sort of vote for this. You know, if I'm traveling or wherever I go, I just love um, sampling the particular, um, I suppose, alcohol drink of that area. Uh, be it yeah. if I go to America, I just love, I suppose, sitting down and having either a bourbon or a Tennessee and absorbing, I suppose, the history of the brand and the people and the style. If I go to France, I might try some wine. If I go to Italy, I'm very much for, you know, um, when you go to a, diff- a different area, just make sure you sample that particular, um, whatever uh, whatever spirit it is, whatever, be it wine or liqueur or whatever. And I, I really love that. Um, so look, I, you know, I, I, I like all different types of, of spirit drinks. I love absorbing them and assessing them and, uh, reading about them, and I'm so interested in the process of actually making them. Um, so I've I've lots and lots of I suppose favorites around the world, really. Yeah, that's a good answer. No. On that note, I think we'll we'll finish up. So I I just like to say uh, thank you so much again, Kevin, for your time. It's, it's been great to talk about uh, the whiskey and your your role at Middleton and uh, some of the future things we might see. So there's lots of lots of things to look forward to. Uh, so once again thank you very much brilliant okay thanks Al thanks Luke thanks Kevin cheers many thanks again to Kevin for giving up his time and providing us with such a great conversation it was a pleasure to get so many great insights into his work and the future of whiskey making at Middleton as I mentioned in the interview there are details on the website for customers who would like to register their interest in the Middleton 2021 release just go to the product page for the bottle at CelticWhiskeyShop.com or email us at info at CelticWhiskeyShop.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and look out for our next episode of the Celtic Whiskey Pod coming really soon. Slancha and goodbye.